Well, it's starting to feel a little bit more like Christmas when we woke up this morning, is it not? And so I want you to go ahead and spread some of that cheer before we get started. We always do it every Christmas season. Turn to your neighbor and wish them a very Merry Christmas. Both sides, all around, wish them a Merry Christmas. All right. We're in a sermon series on the Nativity. We're talking about how we tell God's story through the simplicity and the visual of a nativity scene. I hope maybe you've already done that. And if you get a chance during the holidays to share the story with your family or with friends or somehow through the picture of the nativity, I hope you'll email me and kind of tell me a little bit about that story. I'd love to rejoice with you and possibly share it with the church in the days ahead. Uh, A little thing to put on your calendar as we get ready and thinking about a new year. Is that hard to get your brain around that we're heading for 2022. Doesn't even make sense, does it? Seems like we were just getting ready for the 2000s, and now here we are at 2022. Uh, we're going to kick off the year January 30th, a new event we've never done since I've been here as pastor. It's going to be a wild game feast. We're going to eat wild critter together. Uh, for some of you more delicate palates, we're going to teach you how to uh, get in connection with your old Oklahoma roots, how they used to eat back in the day when we first founded as a nation. Now, to do that, I need some of you to help us gather up the wild game. It needs to be edible. It needs to be something, a critter that we do want to taste, mainly deer. Looking for deer and duck. I'm trying to remember what all else. There's a couple other things. And don't be donating the neighbor's uh, messed up dog. We don't want to just try to balance the neighborhood. We don't want those kind of critters. Legitimate wild game. If you know of anybody that may have some in their freezer, they could donate. We can hold it in our freezer until that time. We need your help. You'll be hearing more about that event at the beginning of the year. Well, how many of you still have a little bit more Christmas shopping to do? Go ahead and raise your hand and confess before the crowd. Go ahead. Oh, come on. Whatever. Unbelievable. The pressure is on. we got to find that perfect gift or at least a decent gift that we can pass on to somebody who's probably not going to receive it as a decent gift, and maybe they're going to re-gift it even. We spend all this energy pursuing presents to give to other people that maybe they don't appreciate like they should. I think I've told you of this story in times past, but literally happened. My brother dated a girl in high school, and when they were there, if you remember part of the story, just play along, but uh, I remember they built a mall in Enid, Oklahoma. This was a big deal. We had had just the old downtown square and all the private shops, and all of a sudden, we were the big time. We had a mall in Enid, Oklahoma. And everybody would go walking around the mall, just like people do today. And as you would walk through the mall, it was the first time ever that they had brought in a particular store that would never work on a downtown square, what was powerfully drawing in an indoor mall. It was the cookie factory or the Great American Cookie Company or whatever it was, some cookie company where you, would, you could smell it from three miles down the, the mall and it would just draw you in like a magnet. Well, my brother's girlfriend got a job there when she was 16 years old, and she started that summer and worked all that summer, and it got to be Christmas time. And what do you get somebody when you're 16 years old uh, and you're trying to make an impression? Well, my brother that year, after six months at working in the cookie factory, thought the most appropriate gift for her would be what you're about to see on the screen. Go ahead and put it up. Here's what he got her, literally. That's what they looked like back in 1980, I believe it was, and I want you to understand, that was so well received that my brother spent New Year's Eve all by himself, all right? (laughs) What he thought was the perfect gift, and certainly a necessary gift at that point in her life, 
was not so well received. Well, we're going to dig into the Christmas story. We're going to look at the nativity, and we're going to see that sometimes things aren't what they always appear. It's hard to receive maybe the gift that is before you. But in all of that, what we're realizing is let's be careful not to make Christmas about the gifts and forget that Christmas came to us because of the gift. That God so loved you and God so loved me, he what? He gave. He gave a gift. Matter of fact, Scripture tells us the only way we can be right with God is through receiving this gift. It's not something we can earn. It's not something we deserve. But it is something that God, because of his love for you, as Tom was saying earlier, his eternal love and his eternal plan, he gave you the gift of his son. And so let's go back, and we're going to look at another piece that we place in the Nativity that has a powerful testimony and a powerful piece of the story. I want you this time, not Luke, but go back to Matthew chapter 1, and let's look at Matthew's gospel. And let's see this next piece of the nativity, the person of Joseph. Uh, now, normally in the order, we would have gone Mary, Joseph, and then baby Jesus, but because we celebrated the Lord's Supper together last week, we, we put baby Jesus in the manger before Joseph. But before baby Jesus was ever laid in a manger, it was Joseph who would take Mary to Bethlehem. Let's look at the story, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be child with child by the Holy Spirit. If you look in on this verse 18, you see this term, betrothed. Uh, it's a unique term to the Jewish culture that may not be so familiar to you. The betrothal period, as they would enter into relationship, as you remember, in those days, marriages were arranged by the parents. We've talked about this before. I'm not so sure we shouldn't go back to that custom and shouldn't make sure that parents are the ones making all the call. Can I get an amen from the parents in the room? Also, back in that day, uh, it's my understanding that the parents of the groom would have to bring a dowry to the parents of the bride and, or the bride-to-be and me being a a daddy of three girls, I'm like, what happened to that custom? It's reversed in our culture. Come on, man. Still hurting. Regardless, they had a very unique custom. They would make a covenant. They would say, these are the two that are to become one. And they would be betrothed. It was like what we call engagement. And during that betrothal period, it was as binding as if they had already said, I do. But there was a process. During that betrothal period, the groom would receive a piece of property or would go purchase a piece of property, and he would go and he would build a home for this new future family. And whenever that was done, the, the bride never knew exactly how long it would be. They didn't have Facebook postings. They couldn't have a webcam to look in on the progress. She waited with anticipation for her groom to return and to seal the deal. And we find in this moment, in this stage of Joseph and Mary's life, they have been brought together by their parents. They are betrothed. And as they are processing and moving towards their bright future to live happily ever after, it gets a little confusing for both Mary and Joseph, for both sides of the family, because all of a sudden this supposed virgin is pregnant with child. That was scandalous. That was unscriptural. And a matter of fact, there's a real challenge here. And Joseph wakes up and realizes the one he's betrothed to apparently 
has to have had been unfaithful. Deuteronomy, you don't have to turn there, but let me tell you what Joseph was wrestling with. Let me tell you the reality of what had been taught in their culture. It's spelled out in Deuteronomy chapter 22 what he is supposed to do in this moment. It says that there is a girl who is a virgin betrothed to a man, and another man finds her in the city and sleeps with her. Then you shall bring them both out of the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death. That's what was supposed to have been done. That was the holy dictate over the culture and the society of that day. Joseph, betrothed to Mary. Mary, who's now pregnant, and it's not his child. You ever been in a situation where you didn't know what to do? You ever been in a situation that disappointed you? Or that distracted you from being able to understand what in the world is going on? Well, what did he do? Let's look at verse 19. Joseph responded under the leadership of the Holy Spirit in his life, a spirit-filled life, and responded differently than Deuteronomy, but responded with a heart of love. Look at that, verse 19. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, underline that, we'll come back to it. Being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. He wasn't willing to bring her out. He wasn't willing to cover up his own reputation and and do what Deuteronomy said in that moment. He was wanting to protect her because he genuinely loved her with all of his heart. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Verse 22. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. They shall name his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Joseph awoke from his sleep and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife, but he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and called his name Jesus. As we look in on this story, as we think about the next piece of the nativity and we place Joseph in there, there is a story to be told. And as you read through scripture, you don't find much about Joseph, but what we do know is amazing. What we do know is powerful and it is a great testimony of a life well lived. Apparently, there was something about Joseph's life that made him a prime candidate to be the foster child of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I mentioned earlier, the Jewish Jewish custom of marriage was to go into this relationship, to make a commitment, to go and prepare a place, and then to come back for her. Well, Joseph is preparing for his bright future. He's getting ready for all those things, but he's about to go on a roller coaster ride of faith. And what we celebrate in this season, the birth of Jesus, was a very difficult time for Joseph. He was wrestling with reality. He was wrestling with what he was supposed to do. And as we look at the life and the testimony of Joseph, we find, as we looked at other pieces, we talked about the innkeeper who made the stable available, his total surrender. He gave what he had. We talked about Mary, who was a person who was dedicated to the Lord, who was pure, a virgin, who was dedicated to keeping her life holy unto the Lord. And now we come to Joseph and we find a righteous example An example of holy commitment. His life is a powerful testimony 
that not just what we declare with our lips, but how we live our life with our hearts is what really brings the testimony. Let's go back to verse 19. Back up just a little bit and look at verse 19 again. Let's see what we can learn about the testimony of Joseph. And it's something to teach to our children, uh, this character trait of virtue, of character, and unconditional love. Look at verse 19. So Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, didn't want to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. First thing we learn about Joseph that is noted here is he was a righteous man. Now, as you look at that, you would read that as, well, this guy must have been Captain Perfect. He wasn't perfect. It wasn't a righteousness that he manufactured. That word for righteous here doesn't speak of a self-righteousness. It talks about judicial approval. It talks about a one who was living as right as possible, who had convictions, who had a foundation of morality, who let the Lord God who created him also be the one who designed his path. He lived according to God's commands. He was one who was obedient to the holy and didn't embrace the unholy. That's what it means when he was a righteous man. When you put Joseph in there, talk to your kids and your grandkids. Talk to those about how God used a pure virgin, how God used Joseph. And he was selected because he was a man who chose to embrace the holy and not the unholy. The value of living life with a compass not which is the desires of our flesh. The second thing we learn here is he was a committed man. He didn't want to disgrace her. He was committed to the vow he made to her. No matter the circumstances, no matter what was happening, no matter what looked like betrayal, he still loved her in that moment. How easy it is to give up on somebody. How easy is it to be disappointed by another. All of us will disappoint each other. The question is, what happens in that moment? Do we bring them out and stone them? Do we stone and put that relationship to death? Or do we speak life into our disappointment? Joseph sets us a standard of what it looks like to love somebody without condition, not based on the conditions, not based on what they have done, but based on what we choose to do regardless of the circumstances. So we find Joseph confused, hurt, imagining the worst, drawing certain conclusions, but not letting those things cloud his ability to love unconditionally. I would encourage you as you look at Joseph's testimony, when you don't know what to do, what would you have done in that moment? It's easy to look back and say, oh, I could have done the same thing, but if you'd been in that moment, if you'd been under the pressure of the cultural morality of that moment and the norms of the, of the community, What would you have done? And I draw you back to something Adrian Rogers always taught. He said, when you don't know what to do, when you find yourself in a circumstance, you find yourself in a cloud of emotion, and you don't know what to do, what do you do? You simply do what God has shown you to do. God has shown us that we are to love one another. He has shown us and he demonstrated with his own life that we are to love unconditionally and we are to bring a sacrifice in that relationship called love. Joseph would model the very same things. So when things aren't going your way, don't fall into a wrong reaction to a wrong action. Instead, do the righteous thing. Do what God has called you to do. 
when people or someone hasn't treated you how you think they should have or they've done something that has betrayed your loyalty or your trust, how do you respond? Do the righteous thing. How easy is it to go to an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth rather than to pray for the one who has hurt you, rather than embrace the one and protect the one who supposedly has hurt you the most. I think I told you before about a time we had at Falls Creek years ago and we were there and there were a lot of pressure. I was way too young, I was in over my head and we had 250 kids living in one cabin. That's never an easy thing, no matter if you're prepared and seasoned, much less a rookie youth pastor like I was. As we had gone, I had encouraged one of the leaders of the group who was really struggling in his faith to go and to be a part of that with us, and, and he was just nothing but a, a, an Eeyore the whole time of camp, just a, a black cloud that he brought in with him. He didn't want to be there. He didn't want anything. He was tired of living for Christ, and he had been one of the most effective witnesses in our youth group, led a bunch of kids to Christ. And yet underneath that, he came under a spiritual attack and really wasn't walking with the Lord. I remember we were about three days into camp. We had survived that long, and I hadn't wrung his neck yet because I really wanted to keep my job. And we were heading out to the tabernacle. Now, many of you, this generation gets it. You remember what that tabernacle experience was. It was 135-degree heat in Oklahoma. You came, and they built. They figured this was God's plan for teenagers put them every week under a metal roof in Oklahoma heat and let them experience God. It was not easy, especially after eating a meal, being out there. And now the metal roof had taken the temperature to 165 degrees. I tested it. And you had to wear jeans down to your ankles. You couldn't wear shorts then. There was no AC. There was no, you just suffered for Jesus and you loved every minute of it. And you had to have all of Jesus to survive every tabernacle experience. He had no Jesus. And he wanted nothing to do with the tabernacle, and so he wasn't going to go. And now it was my time to bring the Old Testament God to this young man. What was I to do? I was mad. I was angry. I was ready to call his mom and tell her to come get him. And the Spirit of God stepped into that moment and helped me and protected me from doing what I wanted to do. Aren't you glad when God protects you from you aren't you glad when God steps in when you wanted to step in I'm glad God stepped in when Joseph could have stepped in in that moment John and I knelt back in the smelliest piece of that property on Falls Creek because it was the guy's dorm it was nasty and I wanted to be everywhere but there and with him but that's where we knelt and I said we just need to praise the Lord I don't want to praise the Lord I don't either John but we're going to do the right thing we knelt down in that moment and we started, and you've heard part of the story, some of you have, and I've got that same vein that my daddy gave me in my inheritance, that bulges when you're not happy with Jesus or anybody else. And I was praising God with gritted teeth, and we were going through the motions of being spiritual, and we were both saying, God, I just praise you in this moment. Oh, Lord, thank you for this week of camp. Lord, I thank you for this, John, and he starts praying as well, and after I don't know how long, the hearts began to melt, so we did the right thing. And I remember that moment, I remember two guys who couldn't carry a tune began to sing praises to God all alone, thank you Jesus. And it was the ugliest thing you've ever heard, but the most beautiful thing God could hear in heaven. 
And I would have missed that moment if I would have done what I wanted to do, what I could have justified doing, but lived outside of my emotion and let the Holy Spirit lead me to the right thing. I'll never forget that experience as long as I live. I'm sure Joseph would look back and say, God, thank you that you protected me from me. Look at verse 20. Let's look at the next thing. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel appeared to him. And an angel spoke God's truth to him and told him exactly what to do. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Take her as your wife. For this child has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Next thing I want you to see is that as you trust God in your journey, as you trust God in your disappointment, that's when God speaks the loudest. Notice, when did the angel appear? When did the angel give him this divine guidance? After he took the first step of obedience. A man who was righteous did the right thing. The right thing led to the right word from God. God spoke to him in that moment, and God gave direction. When you don't know what to do, take the first righteous step and let God show you the next. And that's exactly what happened for Joseph. He didn't know what to do, but God showed him. Why don't you quit trying to do what you want to do or what you think you should do or what others tell you you should do and start doing what God reveals to you to do next don't lean on your own understanding but acknowledge him every step of the way and he will make your path straight Joseph did that he did the righteous thing and he listened to God he still had relationship with God his disappointment didn't distract him or 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 lead him further away from God instead it drew him to his God and it was in that moment that he received divine revelation let God speak in your disappointment Know this, that there are a lot of people this Christmas season who've experienced disappointment this year, who have experienced discouraging things, and while they want to celebrate, they know they need to celebrate, they don't feel like celebrating. And I would say if that's you this morning, whether you're viewing online or in this place, it's okay to have that kind of hurt. It's okay to be real in that. But let me say this, don't let the enemy use the disappointment to rob you of the joy of righteous response let God shepherd you and move you to your next steps let's look at him verse 22 now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet that behold the virgin shall be with child and she shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us and Joseph awoke from his sleep and look at this underline it mark it let it be your example he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him he didn't do what we do okay God I know this is what I'm supposed to do but Lord I'll start praying about it did he pray about it now I will tell you there are some things we need to pray about he started that way he started the journey God what am I going to do it's okay to begin that way but I would tell you once God has spoken the next step is simply a step of obedience we have a way of spiritualizing our response And we try to say, well, I'm just going to pray about it. There's some things you don't pray about. Once God has declared something, do it, period. Now pray, God, give me the strength. God, deliver me from my flesh. It's good to pray along the way, but make sure you're taking that step of obedience. God, do you really want me? Okay, Lord, I know I need to share your story. And God, I know I can do that through the nativity. And so God, let me pray. Just do it. He's already told you. You are my ambassadors. Go declare who I am. Go to your Jerusalem, your Judea, your Samaria, and the ends of the earth. 
You don't have to load up on a van and go to Louisiana, although I'm glad we have a team that's going to spend their Christmas break doing that because that's going to our Samaria. Guys, we got a Jerusalem that's dying and going to hell as well. And we may not have been hit by a tornado, a typhoon, or a hurricane, but we have been hit by the power of sin in every life in this city. Let's be obedient, and let's do what God has told us to do. As we look at this example of Joseph, we see his commitment, we see his obedience, we see how he lived out a righteous life, taking righteous steps. But I want you to also see he was a family man. And everywhere you see Joseph... I challenge you, look him up. Anywhere you find Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus, you will always see family. In Matthew 1, he's with his fiance. In Luke chapter 1, he's with his wife and newborn son. In Matthew chapter 2, he takes his family to Egypt. In Luke chapter 2, he's leading his family spiritually. And that's where Jesus, at age 12, is left behind. You remember that whole story? It's because they were acting out in worship. And observing that God was their God, he was a spiritual leader to his family and to the men of this church. Let us rise up and be Joseph's to our family. Let us be men of commitment. Let us be men who walk righteously. And let us be men that lead our families spiritually. Joseph was a man who was committed to his family. And one of the things that I was so pumped about when I first came back to PCBC as your pastor was to look at your vision our vision is threefold. We have three pillars. If you know why we exist, I want you to say these with me. It may be a while since you've said them, but we, PCBC, exist to help our community, number one, what? Know God. Number two, become family. And number three, impact the world. I'd never seen a church that took family so seriously. I'm thank you for Ed and Donna Edwards and our family marriage ministry team that lead the way because that is the greatest attack that's happening in our culture today. It's an attack on the family. It goes all the way back into Joseph's story. His family was being attacked. He could have easily missed out on his family if he hadn't walked righteously. Don't let the enemy steal, kill, and destroy. Instead, embrace the abundant life that Christ brought us, first in a manger, then through a perfect life, then through dying on a cross, and rising again from the dead. That's the Jesus, the eternal plan Tom talked about, that we celebrate, not just his birth, but all who Jesus is. Let's pray together with every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you take a moment and just say thank you, Jesus? Even if you're disappointed right now, even if you're having a hard time celebrating this Christmas, would you take a moment and just say, God, take away the distractions of my disappointments. Lord, right now, I just want to thank you that you so loved me, you came to this earth. You came in a manger. You took on a cross. You died for me. Lord, let me focus on you, the Christ. Emmanuel, God with me. And if you don't have Emmanuel, if you only know about God, but he is not God with you, you've never made him your Savior, today... Today, make him your savior. Today, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. I wonder if there's someone who needs to do that today. You say, man, that's me. I wouldn't spend another Christmas just exchanging gifts until I first nailed down and received the holy gift from God, the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life through Christ. 
You need to call on his name. You need to be saved. So how do I do that? You just say, Lord, I need to be saved. Just tell him. Then next, admit your sin. Lord, I've sinned against you. Then you need to believe in your heart. The Bible says with the heart we believe resulting in salvation. God, I receive you into my heart, into my person. Become the Lord of my life. Just pray that to him right now in your own words. The Bible says that if you just believed in your heart, you are now a child of God, a new person. Jesus said, I want you to confess me before men. Those who confess me before men, I will confess before the Father. That's why we have an invitation at the end of the service for people to respond. Our staff will be here. You can come to one of them and say, I nailed it down today. I trusted Christ. If you're online, email us at ministry at pcbc.tv. Maybe your response today, like Joseph, is just simply to take the next righteous step. You don't know exactly what to do in your disappointment, but you can respond with a heart of unconditional love. Maybe you need to pray and say, Lord, help me in this next step. God, I submit it to you. Fill me with your spirit. Maybe you have another need. Need for a church family. Need for prayer. I'm going to ask our staff to make their way to the front. Let me pray over you as we stand. They'll already be here. Tom will start to sing, and you can come. Father, we surrender these decisions, these next steps, these hurts, these disappointments, these challenges, or these righteous steps, next steps. Or if there's anyone who's never received you as the gift of eternal life, God, today, draw them. Save them. God, for those who've received that gift, Lord, but are struggling, Lord, speak powerfully. Bring healing. Bring your truth. May you be honored in our response now, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.